You're listening to the Salty Sex Cast with Pamela and Mariah. Yeah, and what's puberty? The sex education you wish you had in high school. Maybe a diagram will help. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Salty Sex Cast. It's Mariah here and Pamela and our guest Claudine. I'll introduce her in just a second. Uh, Pamela, anything new going on in your life? I mean, there might be somebody new in my life. I love it. (laughs) I could tell because I I mean, you were even texting earlier while we were on video Mm -hmm. on, on Zoom again. So we're coming in from Zoom and you had a grin on your face. I was like, you're texting someone you like. <laughs> I knew it. It was just really cute. I might so. have a little crush. Love it. Or a big one. Yeah. So today our, um, our guest is Claudine Gallagher, and she is a post-Mormon uh, mental health life coach, essentially. Um, I was connected with her uh, via Facebook. And some of the things that she was saying, I was like, yes. Oh yes. I agree with that. I can completely (laughs) connect with that and reached out and asked her if she'd want to be on a guest and talk about some of the sexual messages and messages, um, coming from the church about sex and how harmful, um, most of them have actually turned out to be instead of helpful. Um, so, so Claudine put a survey out in the last couple of weeks to, to get some answers from people about their personal experiences with the, the church's messages, not necessarily, um, as church members, but just anyone that's been affected by the church's messages. So we're super excited to find out those results. Yes. So if you are a listener and you helped filled out that survey, um, Thank you for being brave and thank you for sharing your story because Claudine has read them all and she was saying it was it's not easy, right? Go ahead and tell it us what- It is not easy. Um, no, in fact, I had to take breaks in between because, I mean, they are- People have had a lot of challenges and um, and a lot of guilt- a lot of shame, a lot of misinformation. Um, do you want me to just start talking about some of the themes? Please, yeah. Uh, so um, youth in particular are really put in a challenging position. Um, they are not asked if they really want to talk to their bishop, they are put in a position where they have no choice who the bishop is. Mm-hmm. And the bishop is in a position to declare whether or not they are worthy. And it ends up being public. And so, you know, if the bishop says, for example, don't take the sacrament, then other people can see. Yeah. Right? So it's a type of public shaming that can happen. Um, And so youth have to decide in some ways if 
they don't consider themselves worthy? Do they want to disclose to the bishop? Or do they want to lie? Mm. And a lot of both goes on, um, just depending on how the youth views all of it. Um, One of our previous guests um, who, who came on talked to us about her experience with that when she was youth and how her bishop actually took advantage of her um, and, and sexually assaulted her mm. because of that, that power dynamic that existed. Yeah. It's completely inappropriate. Yeah. It's, you know, opens the door for grooming mm-hmm. because youth are not told they can say no. Right. So, and it doesn't matter if they're comfortable or not comfortable, right? They, they're supposed to answer these questions. And so they're getting practice, ignoring their own comfort, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they're put in, like I said, this position, no one tells them that they can say no to a bishop. Um, I've asked this question of a lot of people, and I've yet to find someone who felt like they could, you know, that they knew absolutely they could say no, and it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. You know? There would be some type of, you know, there, yeah. Yeah. Judgment. Exactly. Yeah. They jumping in for mm -hmm. that word. (laughs) So probably the biggest theme in terms of what people learned from the church is that sexual sin is next to murder. This was the biggest one that came through. I can agree with that from my own experience too. I mean, it was, I could, couldn't do much worse and I've already done it. So I have no value. And because you know, in the church, it's black and white. It's not, there's no gray here, right? So one sip of coffee, you're not going to the temple, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's really no difference. At least many youth don't see it as different. Um, A 12-year-old discovering masturbation versus, you know, a 40-year-old. Yeah committing adultery, right? They, they see it all the same. So it's an either or. Can you check the box? Are you worthy? Do you keep a lot of chastity? So this is, you know, that's, I think adults in Mormonism get it that it's not the same, but it is when you go in for a temple recommend, and that's not the message that all youth hear. So they hear next to murder. Some of them get the Bruce R. McCon- type message that is, you know, better to die than lose your virtue. And he explains it, you know, or they hear the message even in the context of rape. So it's better to die than survive a rape is the message they hear. So that's actually, that's the feedback you you've gotten from people? Yeah. Some people that they've heard. Yes. That's how they interpret this, that. Don't lose your virtue. Yeah. Don't lose your virtue. It's better to die. Yes. Yeah. Um, I remember growing up feeling that theme 
of, you know, like in dark parking lots, things like that, being more fearful that someone's going to come rape me than Mm -hmm. someone's going to come mug me and slit my throat. I was more fearful of that. And I think it was because of those themes. And it was, if someone's going to rape me, I'd rather die trying to get away from them. Um, Because I feel like if I don't fight that hard um, and do everything in my power to stop this, I am now part of the problem. I I have some part of that blame. Yes. That was another theme (laughs) that, that females always have responsibility. Mm. So, and that sometimes bishops were asking individuals who had been raped to repent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was a story that came from our survivor episode too. It was mm-hmm. the same thing. You were part in part guilt. You were this. complicit. You, yeah. 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 What, were you, what were you wearing? Yes. <laughs> yeah. All the blame culture. <laughs> right. Really so. Sorry. Here's, here's an example. I'll read one directly in someone's words so you can kind of get a feel because I think this incorporates several of the themes of the type of thing I heard. Um, this is what this person says. The main messaging received was largely from for the strength of youth and your classic modesty l- lessons about covering up so as not to be pornography internalized messaging for me was good girls don't openly like boys good girls don't kiss boys good girls don't have boyfriends good girls don't ask questions about sex good girls don't wear anything remotely revealing um, even if it was super cute jean shorts and a tank top my sexuality is bad. This is yeah, person's words. Yeah. Yeah. Until a short ceremony changes everything. My mom made comments about other girls being boy crazy and how they were going to get in trouble and they should wear more modest clothes. So I ascribed to the good girl's narrative to stay safe. I had a wild lack of sexual education, and when I went to college, was assaulted by two male peers. What started out as consensual, honest exploration about kissing turned into terrifying and very unsafe situations because I did not understand what they were doing. I did not understand this as sexual assault until a few years later when I really understood Um, what they had done, pushing boundaries, touching me in unwelcome ways, and repeatedly continuing when I said I was uncomfortable. Because of the teachings in my youth, I genuinely believed what what happened was my fault. And me being punished for going outside, um, the good girl that I knew how to be. Inside my marriage, It has been intensely hard to let go of that construct of a good girl and allow sexual expression or see myself as a sexual being who also has desires and that those desires are okay. I feel a lot of shame around sexual exploration and feeling sexual pleasure, even though it's a quote, okay now, right? So in the context of marriage. 
there were several themes that this person expressed that were very, very typical of the kind of answer I got. I can relate on a lot of those, you know, just from friends and also my own self. I mean, I've been married to my husband for 10 years now, and we did go through the temple at one point in our marriage. And then it wasn't until we were kind of away from that and had left that I was like, now wait, I get to be this sexual person and I do enjoy this. It's not just kind of, this is for you and I'm here to help you participate essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And that like made it so much better for me instead of this shame and cringing and our sex relationship was not healthy because I was like, eh. And then until I was like, I have a say and I can be okay with having those opinions and the, those drives and things. And it's 180 degrees different. I mean, it's completely different now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Exactly, Mariah. It, what you're saying here was this other theme, which mm-hmm. is really the pleasure is all for the men. Yes. Yeah, very much so. And we don't get the right to ask or have a say. It's very much mm-hmm. um, whenever, whatever his drive is, you should match it. Um, or and, just show up because yes. if you don't, and this is again, the other theme, right? That, and he goes and has an affair or watches porn or whatever else, right? It means you're, you didn't do it right. You're, you're failing not right. as a wife. Yes, exactly. You didn't perform to up to par. I have heard that before very much. So like, why did he have a wandering eye? What were you not giving him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Excuse me? Yeah. Responsibility. Um, yeah, that was, that's a hard one. And I really think it comes from don't ask questions. Um, and then don't talk about it. Cause if we're not talking about it, you don't see all these other themes and all these other things that people, women mm-hmm. in general, and I'll, I'll say women for now, because I'm sure that's where I, cause that's what I can relate to, but that they feel and how many other friends would raise their hand mm-hmm. if they asked who feels like that, go to Relief Society, mm-hmm. ask how many women. And if they were actually honest, I bet every hand would be raised in that room. But yeah. I'm curious how many of the respondents identify as female. The majority on this survey were in that category. I think close to 80%. I'd have to look at the stats again. Mm-hmm. Um, is that right? Yep. Yeah, close She's to 80%. asking her statistician yep. now. That's right. <laughs> Um, and the, um, so, and then there was a percentage that were men and percentage in, you know, gender fluid and non-binary type categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised that most of the respondents were women because I feel like women have such a, a stronger response in general to this topic that, mm-hmm. that like they want to have a voice after leaving the church and after, yeah. you know, leaving that environment that, that for the first time they're like, I can talk about this. I have a platform and please someone listen to my, you know, my complaints. And remind me, um, I know I looked at the survey and the questions. Did we have, um, did you have a question on it if they were still active? Um, I, I asked because it went out through my forum. So the people there are, um, I asked about status within the church. Yes. So most of them were, what do we have here? 
post? I can tell you exactly. No, I'm like, so I should have had it. Forty-three percent no longer a member. Um, and forty percent not attending. Okay. So the large majority that they're either, on the records. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So either they had officially resigned or not attending. So the eighty, almost eighty-four percent were in one of those two categories. Um, and then there were a few that were attending, but non-believers and or attending and nuanced. And a very small percentage were, had some kind of other explanation, yeah. like occasionally go or something like this, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so they, they, these were people that had usually some kind of transition from believer to not. Yeah. What were, yeah. Well, how were the themes different among the, the respondents that didn't identify as female? Well, um, you know, some of the men talked about, you know, feeling a lot of shame for masturbation too. Both men and women actually did. Um, let me see. I might have to look and pull up. Do you check on that one, Michael? We can edit this part. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me, because I, I was thinking about that earlier. I was going to put it in a special place, but really right now in front of me, I mostly have just the raw data. Yeah. So well, and you have a lot of responses. <laughs> yeah. It was like hard to keep track and follow all the characteristics to each individual one. So I was, I've been more looking at the themes. Um, yeah, that completely makes sense. Yeah. But um, again, I want to commemorate everyone who showed bravery to share their experiences yeah. on this survey. Um, you have to be really honest and, and look at within yourself. And sometimes it's a good way to channel your anger and frustration too. Oh, and it's to be able to share your story. And hopefully that affects somebody else and is like, I can relate to this and I'm glad I'm not the only one. And yeah. I'm glad I have others that believe this um, and have experienced this and I'm not being gaslit or I'm not being um, overdramatic. It really is a narrative many, many other people yeah. have experienced. So we just did a big giveaway through our um, boudoir studio and I interviewed all of the women who entered and, and you know we chose finalists to interview and I talked to about 50 women and most of them because they're from Utah had some sort of experience with the church either directly or indirectly mm -hmm. and I heard the same theme over and over and over again from them I never felt like I was allowed to f be a sexual being Mm -hmm. um, express myself sexually in any way. I feel so much shame around it. I mean, it's the same story. And I, mm -hmm. I do think it's so important to get those stories out there so that people can connect with each other. And, you know, it's, I think the hardest part is feeling alone in all of that. I did not realize until... I kind of left the church, came back and re-looked at the messages uh, that this 
purity culture is objectification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, its own doubt. kind of sex trafficking, actually. <laughs> right? It's this idea that her body is an object and to be presented to him. And so it's even in cases with repentance, you know, one of the themes is I would repent, but I still felt like damaged goods. Like oh, yeah. the peace that can never be repented from. And um, there is several people, like a lot of people, talked about getting the lesson on chewed gum. Did you ever get that one, Mariah? I got the the toothpaste. Um, when it goes out of the container, you can never put it back in. Like you okay. can't ever put toothpaste back in a tube. Um, but very similar to, yeah, like it. You can't unchew gum. Yeah. 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 yeah, like like you wouldn't want the gum that somebody else had chewed is the idea. Um, mm. Yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> and, I really, which really doesn't line up with the whole story of repentance, right? The idea that we're supposed to be able to start with a fresh slate after repenting yeah. of our sin. Yeah, no, exactly. It totally does not line up. So mm. like the object lesson, other ones would be like a lick donut, and nobody will want it after and and or they take like a piece of paper crinkle it all up right and then kind of iron it back out and say well yeah you can repent but still look but the, <laughs> men, but the men in this spot the men in, in the church weren't getting this lesson right they were not no they were not this was for women and connected to um the virginity really like there was the double message of, well, boys will be boys and uh, almost this idea that they can't help it. They can't control their thoughts. Well, that's you know, what you're that, taught from the very beginning is and the you, body know, you don't image. have to control your thoughts because that's the woman's responsibility. I still Why remember, they don't learn it. Mm. I still remember sitting in young women's maybe 15, 16 and um, one of the male leaders came in to tell us about the youth dances that are happening on. He's like, I know prom is around the corner. I know you're all so excited, but I wanted to come tell you before you start buying your dresses, um, probably what's most appropriate. And he said, he's like, just because it has sleeves does not mean it's appropriate. Because I think the style back then was like the really sleek, narrow dresses that kind of went down really low in the back. Mm. Um, you know, like I would have loved to have like a little crack peeking out or something. But, <laughs> yeah. But he was like, make sure those cover up your backs too, because none of those boys want to touch a sweaty zitty back. So I'm sitting here 16, 15, going through probably changes where I do have back knee or whatever. And so I'm like, not only am I responsible mm. for them, I have to have so much shame for something that I can't really control going on in my body. This is still my fault and I need to cover it up. I need to hide those flaws. Um, this is my responsibility. But I, I remember like being so livid and shaky and it is like yesterday that it happened. Cause I was just like, I think I was more shocked because he came in and told, told us, he's like, I wanted to hurry and come tell you before you stop start getting excited about all the dresses you're going to buy. I'm going to tell you what you should wear. And I was, and he's like, none of those boys want to touch your, your sweaty zitty back. Wow. And I was like, 
um, what if I didn't want to dance with a boy, a jackass? But like, <laughs> I mean, that well, was just it messaging. It's such an impressionable age, right? Mm-hmm. You're st- you still remember it all this, mm-hmm. these years later. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got the themes on the men now. Oh, love okay. it. Yes. So masturbation is deviant and wrong. Mm-hmm. They were told that having a thought, a sexual thought, was just as bad as doing it. Mm. So they were self-judging based on, like, they were, really, they were not supposed to have those thoughts because, right, if you lust after a woman, it's the same. Mm. Right. You've already committed adultery in your heart. Yes. What yeah. actually, one of the Facebook posts you posted was, what was the craziest thing you've heard someone say in church? And I was laughing at one of the comments where, I, I guess know exactly on, which one you're talking about. <laughs> when he was like, I've, I've committed adultery and points to the bishop's <laughs> wife. And he's like, in my mind. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah. my God, that's amazing. <gasps> I wish I was there. I know. I laughed at that one too. I I wish that too. That's great. (laughs) But a little comical turn on what someone probably was so guilt ridden. Uh Internal turmoil. Oh my goodness. It just doesn't make any sense because how does that discourage someone from actually following through on that thought? Elephants. We can't control our thoughts, right? They run through our minds. And once it's there and you've attached that shame and blame to it, then you might as well just fucking go ahead and do the thing you were thinking because yeah. you're already guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This isn't, and that was the whole black and white thing of it. If I'm already having these thoughts, what's going to make it any worse if I do the action? I'm yeah. already guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm already not going to the seventh so round. I can't even remember any now. I've tried to purge all of that from my brain. <laughs> One of the heavens. <laughs> Yeah, the shame is horrendous. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, because I have interviewed a lot of teenagers, this is not from this survey, but I have interviewed teens and or like young adults who are looking back on not that many years, um, that the bishops tend to, when a, a youth does come in and confess, let's say to masturbation, You know, the bishops do about the worst possible thing you can do, which is to set a goal about what they will not do, (laughs) right? Yes. Like any educator knows you do not set a negative goal like that. (laughs) Right. Right? So it's like, so the goal is to not masturbate, for example, for two weeks, right? So, of course, this, (laughs) this, the brain wants to know what they are it's supposed to do our subconscious doesn't you need to feel that not, right yeah. mm-hmm. and so as they're hyper focused on this they're totally it's trying to willpower it and they're getting themselves in this cycle that where the they have this shame and it builds and then what do they do because it's a release and it feels good and um and yep. then they feel bad and then pretty soon they're being told they have an addiction and so the, they aren't, you know, even if, and and I don't believe that this is a problem, I think it is normal, and developmentally normal, and they should be talking to youth about this, but even if a youth 
by themselves, for example, just wanted to not masturbate and it was their own idea and they wanted to try it for their own sake, right? This would not be the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, and where do the bishops receive their training on how to handle <laughs> these delicate situations? a handbook and that's it. They get no training whatsoever. No training. And um, don't ever own up. Laughing. <laughs> He's like, uh, what? <laughs> and, That's a really good question, but no, no training. And it's a volunteer position. So it's not, or I shouldn't say it's like an unpaid, it's a, it's a position. So if you have someone who's like, I don't really need to be here and I don't really care. I'm not going to even invest in trying to understand you or train or, you know, I remember being 16, being told I had a sex addiction by my bishop and I should go to therapy for it. The church will pay for my therapy because my bishop has referred me to sex wow. addiction. Wow. Um, and it wasn't until I was like, no, I have a, a shame problem and I'm using sex to make me feel better because I'm so shameful, which is a tor- terrible cyclical thing. And I struggled with it for years and years and years. Um, had a very bad negative relationship with sex because of where it was instilled, you know, but I just remember hearing him say that and not taking the sacrament and like knowing everybody knew. Mm. Um, I'm like, what else is a 16 year old going to be not taking the sacrament for? I mean, something with somebody else. That's really all it is. Yeah. Yeah. So you know it. And so I just remember thinking everybody knows everybody knows now and um how did yeah, your parents like react a, i'm sorry what was that how did your parents react um they usually knew something was up because i would come home from the bishop's interview just distraught um the only reason they knew i lost my virginity was because the the bishop had to call the police because it was a date rape situation and um, tell them and make a police report when really that was the improper way to handle it. Again, it wasn't, I need to report this to somebody. I don't have to report it to the police and I don't have to re-traumatize you with your police at your door on your 16th birthday. Uh Now your parents are asking why. So things like that had happened where I'm like, I had no autonomy. Um, Granted, I was a I still was under 18. So there was, ha- he's a mandatory reporter. He had to report somewhere. Yeah. Um, did not have to call the police though. So again, lack of training and re-traumatization. And mm-hmm. there's that negative cycle over and over again of mm-hmm. I'm terrible. And now the police are at my door. So now I feel like I'm in trouble with the mm-hmm. law and it wasn't me. Um, so years and years yeah, that's of. scary. <sighs> I... I, my heart aches for that 16 year old, mm-hmm. but I just, I hope what we do today, um, it was going to make me super emotional today, um, saves another 16 year old from that. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to go through your youth feeling like you're a murderer because mm-hmm. that's what they compare it to. Um, and that's really what can starve so many of these healthy intentions 
for other people, but they can't get over that guilt and they want to do good. Um, but we feel like we're just broken already. And that, that damaged goods, that was an internal dialogue um, well into my 20s. And dating as a single mom and trying to date, uh, from what I was told, you know, a, a worthy return missionary and then saying I'm a single mom, like that was so hard. And mm-hmm. straight up had men tell me that I wasn't worthy enough um, for them. And it's just horrible for someone who's terrified mm-hmm. uh, and it's yeah, the messages they were fed you know yeah. that's the it's the undoctrinated so I joined the church when I was 19 I didn't have this experience that you're talking about Mariah with a bishop at a, you know as a teenager I was I guess technically an adult since I was over 18 um but I had a sexual relationship in high school and it was very gradual. It was consensual. Mm-hmm. It was like the, the friendship, the emotional connection, the physical connection, everything kind of moved at a very slow, very gradual pace over a period of many months, many, many months actually. Mm-hmm. And so, but then I got the missionary discussions. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like I did not know shame <sighs> until I heard, you know, that what I had done was this horrible thing. <laughs> and like, and I'm like trying to come to terms with it because it didn't seem like I had done this horrible thing, right? <laughs> it didn't. Um, and so... Like, then I ended up joining the church, going to BYU, and that's when I really started hearing the messages about the chewed gum and the licked donuts and, you know, all of the rest. And when my husband and I, we were engaged and then got married, and we were really, really good friends. Our relationship was really good, but to go from only kissing <laughs> to full on like this expectation of suddenly in one like the, what they're talking about here like you say a couple words and you're supposed to go from like you'd been told how bad you were and damaged goods and how horrific and I'm trying to heal and like I'm never gonna be good enough maybe I shouldn't have ever been Mormon <laughs> and you know these horrific messages in my head and then going to the wedding night like I was shaking I was scared it felt like it took me years to realize, oh my gosh, that's what hooking up is. <laughs> like oh. that, it was way more like probably what hooking up is yeah. than, but I wasn't thinking that it was a hookup. I was thinking, you know, it was my husband. It was, I did want to have sex with him, but my body, my brain, my body, I could not shift like that. It yeah. was, it was like, we are not meant to do that. To, it's this mental gymnastics, right? And then, of course, this did not set us up well in this area of our relationship. I'm telling you, it did not. It was not the best and the most healthy way to begin. Yeah. And it is. It's kind of, you know, just 
were, we would look down more upon someone who created a safe relationship, trusting relationship, but it's outside of marriage, then mm-hmm. you meet this person and two weeks later you're married in the temple because I've heard those stories and that's not rare in Utah. You have him come home from his mission. You guys, the next step is getting married yeah. and then fucking like that's pretty much what everyone expects to happen. And to and, make babies. Let's be clear. Yeah. Oh, yes. We have to procreate and replenish the earth. And wow. All the fun things. A lot of people are thinking, though, to have sex. Let's yes. <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. is coming up. Like, you can't have sex any other way. It's the only option. But then if you do, then you're damaged goods, and now you have no choice but to hang with or to marry that person, even if it's a horrible relationship and you didn't want to because no one will want you anyway is yeah, another the one of the says, themes. Mm-hmm. If you've already had sex with that person, the best thing is, is to get married next. Mm-hmm. And we were told that. And, um, and even though I was an adult when I had my son, I was still encouraged because I was not married to give him up for adoption. Mm-hmm. Because, and that came from a bishop as an adult. Um, and it was like, well, you know, what are the messages this baby's going to see? Um, because it, they, he doesn't have a parent, another parent, a dad in the home. And I was like, well, my dad's right here. I still live at home. Like he still <laughs> has a, a priesthood holder if that's really what you're consider, you know, concerned about. But I do remember I was mm. completely torn apart because I had someone who I was supposed to trust, not only, you know, and then more shame. And it was mm-hmm. really hard, but yeah. Any other themes that were coming up that uh, let me maybe surprised you? Oh, I, um, a few in just in terms of just super like lack of information that they received. So mm-hmm. I'll just read one of them here, um, you know, this person, no message from the church, church except for not to do whatever sex was until I was married. Um, these teachings made me feel really shameful when I started exploring and trying things out. They also made me really naive because I didn't even know females could orgasm until I was like 27. Um, also being taught so little made me curious when I got older. Mm. Um, if I knew everything at a younger age, I wouldn't have been so curious. You know, there is a huge population of Mormon and ex-Mormon swingers that live in the Utah area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's because they're taught so little um, in their youth about normal sexual development and then they get married so young and they only have this one experience and they're still given messages of shame in their, you know, Mm -hmm. twenties. And so by the time they kind of wake up and go, wait a minute, perhaps I should question some of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of them are still, they're in love with their partner. Um, but they want to have all of those experiences that most people have in college. Yeah. Um, High school, college. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those, those opportunities for exploration and they, they 
find this conduit of swinging. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, a lot of people apparently will go swinging on Saturday night and then go to sacrament meeting on Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and, and feel totally okay about that. And then, you know, more often there are just lots and lots of ex Mormons who are mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm done with that, um, mm-hmm. the lifestyle and the oppression and all of that. And, and so they over the, the pendulum swings the other way, hardcore, very yeah. far the other direction. Um, but yeah, it's not surprising. There's another one that was in that realm. Basically, my mom did not teach me how sex worked. I was completely in the dark the first time and was horrified that penetration was involved. Oh, my oh God. it was painful and embarrassing. Oh, my God. I I, yeah, I would I be quite Imagine terrified. not getting, you know, just even that basic penis right? goes in the vagina. I remember it's hearing that, like, yeah, I mean, I think Pamela, you shared that a couple of weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, and you were like, "So I'm imagining in my head, <laughs> right?" When I was told, no I movement, was, and yeah, your mom just told you when you were young. I was so that's young. What sex is. Yeah, the sex is the penis and the vagina, and so the thing in my head was not the thing that it is in real life, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, it's super confusing. But to not even have like that basic knowledge that penetration is involved insects that's wild mm-hmm. shocking there's also a theme that came up of just a lot of fear of being punished yeah. like or when something went wrong in their life or yep. they got sick or had you know something happened oh it was because i masturbated you know mm-hmm. or this kind of thing making these connections to god hates me god's punishing me i'm getting um I also think these misinformation and head in the sand techniques are also a breeding ground for sexual assault. I mean, you have Mm. boys who are trying to convince uh, um, girls of doing things that it's like, I mean, I'm sure if you're not aware of soaking, um, that's when they purely, it's just the penis goes in the vagina and no humping, but they don't lose their virginity. And this is something that BYU students know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and or oral is moral. And <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't rhyme if not. Um, even messaging of like modest is hottest. So mm-hmm. you are attractive if you show any more of your body than what we approve of. Um, that was really hard for me, especially because I... Um, I struggled to find clothes that fit me. I'm, you know, just the way I'm built. And so it's like, if I wore a skirt that the same girl next to me was wearing, it looked a lot shorter on me. Um, you know, but then it's my fault that mm-hmm. it's shorter, you know, things mm-hmm. just messaging like that was very, very much the guilt ridden. Um, I should have control. Um, but if, without education, how am I supposed to even be able to stand up, let alone, I do have the right to say no. And how to create those boundaries and how to put those in place. Yeah. Yeah. So the other theme came up with people that 
didn't identify as heterosexual, right? So it's this additional shame, Mm. sometimes like denial for many, many years, like something's different about me, something's wrong with me, um, but just like huge walls up. So not exploring it at all. Um, Some people, one, one in particular was you know, didn't discover she was asexual until she was in marriage and Mm. kept thinking something was horribly wrong with her. And, um, and that really helped her just to realize, oh, okay, there's the, there's a name for this (laughs) and that other people are like this too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just all that additional piece. We've mentioned, I think, on the podcast before that the the suicide rate among homosexual youth in in the church is extremely high. Mm-hmm. His these poor kids are sometimes disowned by their families, kicked out of their homes. You know, mm-hmm. that are. I mean, literally, will be left with like a suitcase on the lawn and and told to get out. Um, there are a lot of homeless youth because of that too. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's an incredibly sad situation and something the church just doesn't address. Or they do and they have, uh, North star. Have you, either of you heard of this organization? I know it. Mm -hmm. This is a, support group organization for Mormon families who have um, a youth or even anyone who, who um, considers themselves part of the LGBTQ community. And so it's, they've masked some of these messages as supportive, but if you really look at it and read any of their literature, it is more harmful again um, than anything. And, and Abby has gone through that and her, when she came out after she came home from BYU, um, she said something. And so her parents, that's the only way they could relate to it and still be okay with their beliefs, but then still want to be supportive. So she accepts it for them. It's, you know, she's like, if that helps their, if that's the sugar they need to take to make the pill go down, I'll take it. But she was like, it was so harmful when I went and sat in those meetings and you see people just with that. I would rather be dead um, than put my family through this. And now we have to go to special groups and classes just so they can even be there for me. I don't mm-hmm. want to be a part of that, you know? So it's um, yeah. So I believe it's North star, correct? Claudine, you said that you're familiar with that. Uh, it's one of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, <sighs> This will make me want to swear, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> like, this is one of those, it just, and, and even my own feelings and the ways I was indoctrinated over, you know, a 20-year time period to go along with some of this kind of thing, you know, this thinking and now coming out of the church and seeing just the the horrific damage that it does to young people and 
you know, someone that I just adore, love, and care about, like, was suicidal so many times. I didn't meet him until he was past that, but to hear his story, to realize the, the world of, like, psychologists, psychiatrists, people, therapists, they are not well-informed about how religion hmm. impacts family dynamics in these scenarios. Um, this young man was diagnosed bipolar and he was not bipolar. He was Mormon and gay, <laughs> oh. right? And what was happening was he would be like, I'm going to do this Mormon thing. I'm going to buckle down and do everything my family does. And then try for a few couple of weeks and then he just couldn't and it was like fuck it <laughs> and he'd start sneaking out of the house and being you know going off and exploring his life and then you know and he would just keep swinging back and forth well when he got ran through the questionnaires he he met all the criterias bipolar mm. you know yeah. and so like religious trauma is real this is trauma for people when there is no way out. They cannot both be who they are and, you know, within the context of what they're given, feel like there is a way to move forward, to be happy, to cope, to have relationships, right? To be accepted. Even in some cases, they're, of course, they're the parents that reject and like what you guys were talking about, and that's awful. There are also the parents that are amazing and loving and still say, but this is the way it is, and these are God's rules, and we can't do anything about it. And so it's kind of like this outsourced parenting, right? They like because it's not our fault like this is God's way and we are all God's children and none of us have a choice right to, so in that scenario the parents don't feel like they can step in even when they want to and they love their kid they they think that somehow if that ultimately that this will pay off and yeah. Mm -hmm. their hands are tied yeah yeah exactly and it's man. And they're all looking at that ultimate goal of being sealed and together with their family in the celestial yeah. kingdom which is the highest of the heavens right yes and mm -hmm. so anything else that happens on this earth that you know gets in the way of that goal in any way has to be dealt with mm-hmm yes. At, at any cost. It's, it's a challenge. This is your test, your trial. Right. Um, you know, if you are having same sex feelings, this is just the test that you've been, this is what Satan has put in front of you. Yeah. Everybody's um, tested in a different yes. way and this happens to be yours. Yep. And, and the yeah. devil knows you so well, he's going to put all of the things that you're going to struggle with the most in front of you. Right. Um, but unless you're listening to the spirit and doing everything right, you're not going to be able to get over this. Um, I remember hearing that and thinking, well, 
shit, I'm fucked because I don't know what else to do. I'm praying as hard as I can. I'm doing everything I thought I should be doing. And I'm, it's, I still feel these feelings. I still, you know, want this. I still, I don't know what else I should be. And so then it's like, I'm broken. I don't know. The message, it's always comes back to, well, you know, there must be something wrong with me. Yep. It's what Mm -hmm. the, you know, because so that that's people internalize it over and over and over and over again. And it's reinforced by the people in their community that they love and respect. So Mm -hmm. Mormonism is an authoritarian religion, which really comes down to strict rules, high expectations, and low tolerance for difference. Mm -hmm. And an extreme punishment for transgression. Yes. That punishment will always be there and that will look, you know, and it's, yeah. So it's one size fits all, right? And it's black and white. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that families can be together forever. Like by itself, it sort of sounds like this beautiful idea, right? Yeah. Until you realize that what they're teaching is families might not be together. If you right. don't. It's a, it's a threat looming yeah. over your family at all times. If yeah. any one of us steps out of line, we mm-hmm. can never meet that ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's family being used against individuals to force conformity. Mm-hmm. And for some people, I mean, this is life threatening. So because there are young people who do end up thinking it is better to die, right? Because if you die, then at least you'll just be, you won't shame your family. You'll go to heaven. You'll be with them forever. So yeah. it, this is the thinking that ends up killing people, killing people. It's, yes. Yeah. And living a very fearful, shameful, um, guilty existence. I don't mm-hmm. want that existence. I, if that means that, you know, I don't get my world in the next life, <laughs> your planet, my planet. Yeah. That's it. I do. Yeah. Mormonism doesn't care what you want, though. That's the problem, right? Like, they don't even ever, like, let you know that that's an option to consider. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the option to say no, I think you hit it on the head really, really well. That's never, mm-hmm. ever there. Um, what do they, what's the word? Freedom of choice. What's, how do they spew that? agency you mean agency you're the free Uh agency free agency free agency i remember hearing that since i could listen you know until and we have free agency never understood what it meant until i found the power of what no means Mm -hmm. and you will respect my no and i have autonomy Mm -hmm. never understood what that word even meant until i was in college i was like what (laughs) and i i can put boundaries down what? And yeah, it was. So Claudine, tell us for, for any of our listeners who relate to what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. have gone through similar experiences and want to find their own path to healing. Where do Mm -hmm. they start? 
Well, I think it's a beautiful thing to just begin with the most simple thing ever, which is to give yourself permission to like and dislike. And just begin asking yourself, what do I like? What are my preferences? This is again, a foreign concept for many, right? That they get to make decisions. Um, and I'm talking just on the simple things in life. You know, the cereal I'm eating, do I like it or not? You know, the smell of my shampoo, do I like it or not? And practice just thinking about it and making a decision and realizing you can change your mind tomorrow. It's totally yeah. fine, yeah. right? This is, doesn't have to be a permanent thing. This is just, you know, opening up to getting to know yourself. And I encourage people to just begin to make lists. I like, I don't like lists. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but it's really a powerful tool and a really great place to start. Yeah. And to, to begin to think, you know, no one else in the whole world will have a list exactly like yours yeah. on any given moment, right? You are an individual. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I, I remember someone asking me, what do you want? I was like, foreign concept. Yeah. I can't tell you what I want. I can tell you what I've been told I should want. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think, I think. That's huge to be able to tell you what you like and what you don't like and what you truly want and what are your motivations mm -hmm. when um, you don't have threats held above your head, um, whatever those look like, if it is religious or not. I think most people can relate to that type of concept. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that should, that's a swear word <laughs> or at least a big red flag one to start to notice. Like it will never feel good to just live your life because of shoulds you know we've got to get to a place our wants matter like I want to is a healthy reason to do something yeah absolutely I don't want to is a healthy reason not to now of course as adults I'm not suggesting that we never do anything <laughs> like of course we end up doing things we don't want to but we should I there I said should <laughs> that. No, <laughs> no, but that's the first step okay, is recognizing right? how often so, you even have it. But if you can start with, like, get honest with self first, right? So ask yourself, do I want to do this thing or not? So let's say you don't want to start there, and then you can go from that place to I, I don't want to, but perhaps. I might, there might be some reasons I would consider doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to take my kid to their band practice at 4 a.m. However, right, so that's the honest truth. However, you know what, for this child and because of, I want to do this because of these other reasons, right? This is the kind of mom I want to be. So I don't want to, but nevertheless, I will. And I like the reasons I'm choosing. So... You know, but you've got to start with honesty to self. People start, they, they guilt themselves before they've even allowed themselves to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really appreciate it. That's a very simple step anyone can take. Um, even if 
those listeners who can't relate to much that we talked about today, uh, I'm sure you can relate to asking yourself that question and it can be more empowering than um, uh, we can consider with such a simple step for sure. Um, Claudine, where can people uh, view your services or see um, what the services you offer? Will you describe a little bit about what you do? Yes. So they can find me. My email is claudine at postmormonmentalhealth.com. Um, or they can go to the website, Post Mormon Mental Health, or the Facebook page, or Instagram is where I am. So lots of ways to contact me. And if someone is interested, they can sign up for a consultation. And um, I have spent the last several years um, diving deep into the needs of ex-Mormons. Mm-hmm. I, I think we could talk hours on this and the struggle. <laughs> um, very much so. I was like, when I discovered your services, I was like, there's someone out there who's even credible who could have helped me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was shooting in the dark and so alone. Mm-hmm. And it was just like starting from square one, leaving the church, um, let alone there are still family relationships that are still rocky, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that that service is out there and understanding that you have dedicated a lot of um, your time and your practice on not only can I, you can relate in your own experience, but you have credible sources and other resources people can find um, when they're struggling. So that's what just even following you on social media, it's been so empowering. I keep sharing so many. Thank you. um, The article you wrote on pornography and, all things that one circled around quite a bit from my yeah. friend group. I found it quite interesting. So um, even though the audience was yes, that was a that was a unique one. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> but I think it was the message everyone can hear and support. Yeah. So yeah, and that's why I think we need to talk more. You know, about all of it. Mm-hmm. And even to young kids, they need to hear. They need to hear they're being exposed to things. They need people to talk to. Yeah. And, you know, we have quite a few listeners, too, that really have never been touched by the Mormon church. Um, But I feel like all of the things that we've talked about today aren't necessarily specific to the Mormon church. If you have been raised in any kind of ultra-conservative culture, Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably receiving similar messaging. Could probably mm-hmm. benefit from the same sorts of um, just you know questions mm-hmm. for yourself. Um, and yeah, I, I would think this this could apply to so because I I know I was raised Catholic actually and converted mm-hmm. to Mormonism. And you know I've said before I f- I felt like when I converted to Mormonism that it was so sexually freeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean the the messaging yeah. in the Catholic Church is mm. as as bad or worse, I would mm-hmm. say. Um we'll it's put a big but and disclaimer in that when you converted, you were already married. 
That's that's absolutely true. Yeah, and and I sh- yeah I shouldn't mention that too. Well, I was um I was about twenty or twenty one when I converted, and I already had a child. I was married, mm-hmm. um, and my husband was raised in the church, and so I already had this like network of support. Um, so I didn't get a lot of the messages personally that that you know Mariah did, or a lot of people did in the church. Um, you didn't go through young women's. I didn't, but also I was raised, I, well, so also I, um, I converted to the, the Mormon church in Memphis, Tennessee, and the culture is very different there. So there was a lot of similar messaging, um, but I didn't feel like there was such a focus on chastity. I would really be interested in, hmm talking to my girls though, um, because they were raised, obviously they went through the young women's program to find out how, how those messages affected them. I'm going to ask them now. Yeah. I'd love to hear. Maybe we can do a little follow-up on it, but, um, Claudine, is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners or maybe anyone who's struggling with, um, maybe that purity culture that Mormonism has, Yeah. Oh my gosh. I guess what I would say is meet yourself with compassion. Mm. Like that is the most important thing. It's Mm. whatever is going on, I promise you are not alone. And that indoctrination is powerful and it's worth taking the time to look at those messages, to pull them out and decide if you really want to continue to believe it. Yeah. And, you know, we can't snap our fingers and make it go away, but we can talk more about it. We can talk about what we want to believe instead, and we can practice recognizing when the old messages come up, right, for, for us. And realizing, oh, those are those old tapes. Those are those old messages. I don't have to believe them anymore. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm just kind of going off of that. Like if anyone's ever uh, struggling with that guilt, regardless if it's from that purity culture or anything else, um, like I just, I want you to know from me, you are worthy and you are worthy of love and of yourself and um, fuck all the people who've made you feel different. Because that's not what we're here for. So, yeah, worthy is the default. In fact, there's nothing we can do to not be worthy. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That message, if you can understand, if truly believe in that message, is scary powerful. Like, watch Mm -hmm. out because you got some strong people backing that. But, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. You're Um, welcome. Yeah. It's been wonderful and enlightening. What did you say, Pamela? Oh, I said this has been wonderful and enlightening. Yeah. Um, Claudine, please share when uh, you figure out how you want to share all those stories that everyone was able to submit. Um, I think it'd be great. I would love to go through them in a helpful way. So probably little little increments. But, um, you know, I think they can be really, really powerful being out there for other people to understand. I I agree. I want to... You know, I'm going to share it without names and just get the content out for people to look at so they can know they're not alone. 
Yeah. So thank you so much for gathering that data because that was very, very interesting. I can tell you what I relate to, what I've seen and heard, but without other people really saying, no, here's me, here's my story, Mm -hmm. you know, it can kind of fall on deaf ears. But when we can band together and say, we're done with this, this is not an okay narrative to have, hopefully change comes because of it. So best we can hope for, least we can hope for that knowing that you're not alone. Yeah. So. Thank you again. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you are out there talking about this. It's very important. I love it. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, this isn't just uh, something that we just want to talk about in our basement. (laughs) I hope somebody really is getting something from it. But every once in a while, I'm like, when you don't have an audience um, that's live, it is hard. Sometimes I feel like I'm just lecturing in my basement. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, um, thanks to all of our listeners this week. We appreciate you tuning in. Please share this with anyone that you think might benefit from it. Um, if you have any comments or just want to reach out to us, you can do that at saltysexcast at gmail.com. You can get exclusive content on our Patreon page, um, which is patreon.com forward slash saltysexcast. And you can follow us on Twitter as well at saltysexcast. Did I miss anything, Mariah? Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Yes. Please find us on Facebook. Um, Mariah is posting really great content on there almost every day. I, I, I enjoy it. Anyway, I'm attempting to, it's, it's been fun. <laughs> we appreciate your efforts. I might have too much power on this. We might need someone <laughs> to check and balance what I'm posting. <laughs> but, um, thank you. I'm here. So yeah. So thanks everybody. And, um, stay sexy and salty. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. What's puberty? Puberty? Well, puberty's a lot of things. Here's the piece. When you hear about it first, it sounds very strange. Oh, if it really bothers you, you should see a doctor. Then at puberty, certain glands begin to work, and our bodies begin to change. It enlarges the penis itself. And there's a center opening between those two, which is called the vagina. The sex education you wish you had in high school. Maybe a diagram will help.